So today is all about life outside the doors. And because we've got quite a lot to get through, um, I'm going to invite John, who is on our exec team. He's also on our core team. He's going to come and read. And we're going to be reading from the beginning of Acts chapter 3 today. So if you have a Bible, um, you are very welcome to do that. And uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible or have it on your phones, then we're going to put it up on the screen. Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who went into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness? We had made this man walk. Great. Thanks, John. So increasingly, it seems like we live at a moment in history in the West where all the headlines that we ever read about Christianity is that it's in decline. People don't want to go to church anymore. Sundays are an increasingly congested space where all sorts of different things are going on. Atheism is not uh, increasing, it's actually declining. But at the same time, people aren't flocking into our church. Young people are seeking answers to life, the universe, and everything, but they're not phoning up a pastor or looking for a church. What they're doing is seeking out Google and seeking out social media and new age philosophies and all sorts of different things are going on. This is a moment that the church hasn't experienced ever before. And so what I want to think about this morning is how do we be a church within that kind of moment? What is going on and what does it feel like and look like to be church that is on mission in God's story in the world? Well, if you can remember back two weeks ago, we thought about the Trinity, uh, the Trinity of God, who is God, Father, God, who is Son, God, who is Holy Spirit, that before that there was ever a world, there was God in relationship with one another, God loving one another, God preferring one another, God caring and doing incredible things. And the word that the early church used was the word perichoresis. And perichoresis is actually the word for dance, that there was a Trinitarian dance going on before that there was a world, and that love was the center of the concept of the Trinity, God who is both one and three. Just to check you're all awake, going to start the hardest thing you can think about in the Christian faith to start off this morning. But the movement of the Trinity is not just a movement of love in a circle or in a dance that stays where it is. 
In fact, what the Bible tells us about God in terms of God the Trinity is that it's always ascending movement. The movement of the Trinity is always missional. It's always one that goes out so that when the world was at its darkest place 2,000 years ago, when there was in crisis, when there needed to be the most incredible rescue mission the world's ever seen, what we read is actually that God the Father sent the Son into the world. God the Father sends the Son into the world. That in the moment when uh, Jesus is coming toward the end of his life on earth, what we find is that the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. And then we, the church, we, like those first followers of Jesus, we too are invited into that same story. And what we find about the church is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit send the church into the world. And we can find that in John 20, 21. And it says this, As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The movement of God is always a movement out into the world. And so therefore, the movement of the church is to join in with the Trinity. We're invited into the life of the Trinity. When Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving the commission to the first ever followers of Jesus, his first followers, he says this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. So therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? There is the life of the Trinity, and we are invited to play our part within that story. But it's a hard thing, isn't it, to think about a church that doesn't just go on mission, but a church that genuinely participates in God's mission in the world. I think one of the reasons that the church has struggled so much these last years is that we have struggled to find the balance of what it means to be a church together, but also a church that participates in God's mission in the world. And so what I want to think about this morning is I want to think about ways that God might be calling us to be people on mission together. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more in a few minutes' time about the practical steps that we as individuals might want to take to join in with what God is doing in his story in the world. So here's some some thoughts. The first thing is this. The first and early church were brilliant about being outside of their walls. A church on mission cannot hide within its four walls. Um, In fact, what you read in the early church is that there were no walls. No church had any walls. Now, walls, whether they're good or bad, is a good debate that you can have about churches. I uh, came from a place where I looked after three churches in England, and the combined age of the walls in the church, of the three churches, was well over a 1,000 years. We were very good in England at putting walls up around our churches. But the kind of walls that I want to speak out this morning are not really about brick walls, but about the kind of things that we put up around our churches, which cause a barrier between us and God's mission in the world. If you notice in the miracle that Peter and John do, where are they? They are on their way to a worship gathering. They are out in the community. They're in the very center of the community life. 
In fact, what we read is that most of the miracles of the New Testament, most of the things that Jesus does, most of the healings and things don't happen when the church is in a space together hidden from the world. Actually, they happen when the church is out on mission in the world. What that means is that we have to get a good understanding of how the movement of the Trinity works in our church life. So these last few weeks, I've tried my very best to paint you a picture of what our community might look like when it gathers together. I've talked about a church full of the Holy Spirit. I've talked about a church that prays. I've talked about a church that worships. I've talked about a church that loves one another really well. And I hope as I've talked about it, you've gone, yeah, man, I'd love to be part of a church that does that. But at the same time, the church also must be a church that goes goes out into the world. That what we're doing on Sunday is not the entirety of what it means to be church. Church is not a building. Church is not even just what we do on a Sunday morning. Church is our shared life together, which means that when we come on a Sunday, what we're doing is this. We're filling up. We're healing up. We're worshiping up. We're loving up. We're learning up. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. And our services here, if you've noticed the last few weeks, they finish with these words. Go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. There's always this debate, isn't there? Is Sunday the last day of the week or the first day of the week? And and I've literally got no idea. Um, But but what I love about the fact that Sunday might be the first day of the week is that it recognizes that we start in worship, that we start in prayer, that we start getting healed up so that when we walk out of the door, then we're ready to be church in the world. And it's a radically different concept for how churches work because often church becomes just about what we do together when instead we want to be a people who go out. And not that we go out and send a few missionaries into the world, but instead we recognize that we are on mission. You're on mission and I'm on mission and we're all joining in with God's mission. Yeah. So um, I think over history, when the church has used the word missionaries, they've thought of African missionaries, a bit like this. Um, this might as well be a picture of my family um, because most of my family were African missionaries over the last 200 years. And I'm, I love what they did. I've heard the stories through my whole childhood of the way that whole tribes and communities have come to faith. But actually, increasingly, I think mission needs to be seen less about that and more about being in Starbucks. It needs to be about what we do together. Because if we think about missionaries as people that we send off to the other side of the world, just as a few of us, what that gives us the opportunity to do is argue that we aren't missionaries. That missionaries is what professional people do when they go far away. When instead, you're a missionary, I'm a missionary, because we are on mission together. The early church saw themselves not as doing mission, but on being missional. Yeah, The early church didn't see themselves as doing mission, but being missional together because they were part of the life of the Trinity. So we need to be a church that can't hide within its four walls. And we're going to try really hard to be a church that's always facing out. The second thing is we need to be a church that meets people in their need, in love, but also doesn't leave people just in that place of need. If you notice, Peter and John, they're out in the community, minding their own business, going up to pray. They would have done it every single afternoon, probably, as a community of people praying in the temple. 
And they see this guy, and the guy is there begging. He can't walk. He's been crippled since he was born. Um, and because he's crippled, he can't work. And because he can't work, he's got no money. And because he's got no money, he has to literally beg on the side of the streets. It's a picture that we know of and we see even in our city today. Peter and John meet him in that place. If you notice the interaction, they, they meet him at the place where he says, hey, I need some money. Now, Peter and John, probably in the power of the Holy Spirit, can see that what the guy needs is not money. It's that he needs to be able to walk. And so we see this incredible moment of healing. But as we see the healing, as the man is helped up by Peter and John, suddenly then the man is able to see what God is doing in his life. And you notice that movement, practical need, healing, and then the kingdom of God comes. It's radically different from how the church sometimes does it, which is to stand inside its walls and say, hey, dude, we've got a healing service. If you come and listen to our truth and come and be part of our church and believe all the things that we believe, then you're going to get healed. In fact, what we see here is a church on mission, seeing healings and miracles happening outside of their doors, well before the person can even know who Jesus might be. I used to work with um, a guy, um, we'll call him John, his name was not John, um, but he was the grumpiest man in the whole world by a mile. Um, when I started a business, he was my one employee, and I employed him because he was the best at his job. He was brilliant at what he did, um, but he was 99% of the time unbelievably grumpy and impossible to be with. Um, but I remember one morning he came into our office and he was, he was worse than normal. Uh, it was, he was like a bear with the sorest hair ever, head ever. And um, I said, oh, I said, dude, how are you doing? You don't seem very happy today. And he said, oh, no, my back. You know, my back has been killing me. I didn't sleep a wink last night. You know, I can't do my job today because I can't lift things. It's really bad. And I remember in that moment just hearing a bit of a nudge of the Holy Spirit going, come on then, Ben, you're going to pray for him? And I remember thinking, oh no. It's like, oh no. It's this guy, he's like a huge guy, massive tattoos, you know, properly hard as nails, thinking I can't pray for him. But I thought, okay, I've got to do it. Okay, so I said, look, hey, hey dude, can I, can I pray for you? I, you, know, I, you know I'm a Christian and I believe God can heal back, so can I pray for you? And uh, he said, well, all right then, okay, you can pray for me. So I went, went up to him and I said, I'm just going to put a hand on, on your back, which I think pretty much freaked him out. Um, I said, I'm just going to pray that God's, God's spirit would come and he'd healed you. So I, I prayed about an 11-second prayer. It was probably four seconds, actually, because that was about as much as I was brave enough for. And I said, amen, okay. And, and he was obviously a bloke being very embarrassed about physical touch, being a man and in England and all those kind of things. So, so he straight away, uh, off he went out the door. And I saw him later in the day. And I said, oh, hey, mate, how's, how's your back doing? And he was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's totally better. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. And that was it. That was the entirety of the conversation. Um, and then a few weeks later, you know, went by. And he, and he came in one morning looking a little bit less grumpy uh, than he normally did. And I said, I said, oh, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, Monday morning. Um, what's going on? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did this thing yesterday. I, um, I went to my church. I went to a church. And, and in England, it's, the, you, it's impossible it's impossible. People do not walk into churches without some sort of invitation. The whole thing. He said, yeah, no, I just thought I'd go along to my church. And it was really good. Now, what I came to realize for my friend who I worked with, that there was absolutely no way that I could have started a conversation with, hey, dude, you really should go and find out about Jesus. But when, I start, when we started with, hey, by the way, do you know that God can do something? And let's, let's invite God's power into your life. Suddenly, over the weeks to come, he was then in a place where he wanted to find out more. 
You know, people are not interested in being shouted at truth claims, but they are desperate to see the reality of a God who is real, who can change their lives. They're desperate for it. They're absolutely desperate for it. And so we have to be a people who go and we meet people in that place of love. You know, Peter and John did not say, dude, what you really need is you just need Jesus and then we'll do the rest. They said, no, let's pray for your healing. And as we love you, as we physically help you up, then you'll be in a place to hear the good news of Jesus. And that's what it means, okay? We need to be a people who are prepared to go and meet people in a place of love. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this, is that how is the good news of Jesus that you have received impacting the lives of those around you? How is the good news of Jesus impacting the lives of the people that you have met this week? It's a big challenge, isn't it? It's a big challenge. And so I want to talk for a minute about how we might become that kind of people. Because if you're like me, you will generally feel like a failure in this space. You will genuinely feel inadequate. You will genuinely feel like you've messed up. But I believe that God has a journey for us all to go on in this respect. And I want to think for a few minutes about how we might do that. First thing is this. We need to be a people. We need to be growing into a people. A church that takes Holy Spirit risks. Holy Spirit risks. Um, I love being in California. It's great. I have so, so enjoyed being here this year. And one of the things I so love in California is the sense of adventure that's here. The sense of uh, entrepreneurial activity. The sense of pioneering. Right? People come to LA um, for lots of different reasons, but often they come the hard way. They have to graft. They have to grind at it. They have to pioneer things. Some of the, most, the best organizations that I know of in the whole world are based here in California. And some of the most pioneering people in the world are based here in California. I love the way that you guys journey and adventure. Um, if you ask somebody in England... Um, and they've got a free weekend, hey, what are you doing? They probably say, I'm going to see my family. And when they say, I'm going to see my family, what they mean is, um, I'm going two doors down the street or two hours down the road to see my family. I've discovered this last year that when I ask some of you guys what, when you're going to see your family, what you mean is, for the weekend, I'm going to Hawaii or I'm going to Washington, D.C. or I'm going to New York. And I'm like, that's a six-hour flight and you've only got like 48 hours of weekend and how does that work? But like, no, that's what we're going to do. I love it. I love it. But I also know, and it's the same in, in, in Europe as it is here, that there is a competing thing against this sense of risk-taking and entrepreneuring and pioneering. And it's this love, endless love and pursuit of comfort and convenience. And that the two things clash with one another. And some of my very favorite inventions that have come out of the United States over the last couple of hundred years. First one is this, um, air conditioning. Like, who is grateful for air conditioning? Anybody who's ever been to Arizona must be grateful for air conditioning. Like, air conditioning is a life-changing thing. Who's grateful for the microwave? Right? The microwave. Like, who, you don't have to wait to make food anymore. You just put it in. And, of course, it's not just that you get a microwave, but you also get the concept of the microwave dinner. Like, brilliant. You don't even have to do anything but just put the holes in the thing and you put it in and three minutes later you've got, you've got dinner. Um, here we have the lazy boy. You know, it's not enough just to watch television, but actually you can lie down whilst you're watching television with a drink in your hand that's only about 20 inches from your face so that you don't have to go anywhere. 
incredible. Um, when most of the world thinks about going on camping and exploring the great outdoors, they think about uh, this. Um, the people that I live on the street with, where I live, my next door neighbor, when he thinks about camping, he thinks about this. Anyone into this kind of camping? If I'm honest, this is the kind of camping I'm into as well. You know, we have, we have drive-throughs, we have drive-through restaurants, we have drive-through banks, we have drive-through pharmacies. And what I came to discover this week is that there's an increasing number now of drive-through churches. Now, I'm not knocking any of these things. I'm actually extremely grateful for air conditioning and the microwaves and all of those kind of things. But what I do realize is that they help us and they lure us into an endless pursuit to make life easier, to make life more convenient, to reduce the impact. So we say, well, we really want great food, but we don't want to cook it. So we're going to go and put it in a microwave or we're going to go and get drive through. Now, increasingly what's happening is that, you know, dietitians and medical professionals are telling us that that's not a great way to eat because actually it's robbing us of the understanding of what goes into our food and getting a balanced diet and all those kind of things. But the endless pursuit of comfort and convenience is also, I believe, the very thing that's killing the church. It's killing us because what it's doing is saying, well, we want God, but we want it on our terms. We want church, but we want it in a convenient, nice little package that doesn't impact our schedules of life. We want a faith in Jesus, but we want it to fit into the life that we want to live. It's exactly like we talked about last week. We want to know Jesus, but we want him to be the nice sprinkling on the top of our lives, when in fact, of course, what God wants to do is be the very basis of our lives. He wants to be the very foundation of our stories. Comfort, convenience, our addictions, they're addictive. And what they do is they rob us of our ability to step out in faith. A few, a few, um, a few uh, years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, if I'm honest, when I was in my, my, my sort of late teens and early 20s, I had this wonderful opportunity to spend some time over a number of years working with some of the very poorest people on earth. I went and um, worked in some of the slums in uh, the Philippines, in Manila in the Philippines, I went and worked in a township in Johannesburg in South Africa and we used to go to sleep at night with gunshots going off all around us because the gang warfare that was going on in that township. Um, went to go and work um, in Argentina and in a very particularly poor part of Argentina where there was an orphanage and you know we'd go to sleep at night and it was like minus, minus degrees at night time inside the building um, because it was so cold there in the winter and they didn't have any heating in the orphanage. But as I was lying in my bed a couple of weeks ago thinking about this in my beautifully comfortable pocket-sprung Californian bed, I thought, do you know what, could I do that anymore? If God called me to up sticks and go and do that, am I even able, would I be able to do that anymore? Now, I know that when we're 18, we all do kind of crazy things that we probably choose not to do a little bit later in life when we've thought about life a little bit more. But the point that I'm making is that God has adventures for us. That God's desire for us is always to take steps out in faith, out in mission, out in risk. Because as we do those, we're recognizing that we don't have the answers, but that God has the answers. We recognize that we don't know how to fix the problems, but that we rely on God to fix the problems. But what comfort and convenience does is it robs us and persuades us that actually we should just stay safe. And a safe church is a dead church. A safe church is a dead church. 
Um, C.S. Lewis, who is one of the greatest authors, I think, of the last couple of hundred years, wrote the Narnia series, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was actually a great theologian as well. And he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a, was actually a story of a devil, or two devils, talking about the church. Um, and he, he, said in, is, he says this, a moderated religion, a safe, comfortable religion, is as good for us, the devil, as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. A church that stays safe, a church that hides, is no good because a church that hides and says we're all okay and we're everything, that we've got everything we need is never going to see the reality of God's kingdom transforming lives. God's desire for your life is not comfort. It's kingdom. It's kingdom. God's desire for your life is not to sit in your space and just wait for heaven. God's desire for your life is to join with him on mission in the world. And he has incredible things for you to see and do if you will partner with him. But it's scary, right? It's very scary to think about being a Christian outside of the doors. It's very scary. So how do we do it? Well, the good news is that actually this is, you are a group of people who are already in many ways engaging in incredible mission. Incredible. You know, I love that you know, so many of you already are signing up to be part of our community engagement team. Our community engagement team is a team that's going to partner or is already partnering with some organizations in the Pasadena area to go and work in those spaces where people are struggling, where people are really hurting, where people are broken. And it's not so that we can just go and you know, be rich Christians and throw money, but it's so that we can build relationships so that we can be loving, so that we can invite people to come and be part of the story of faith and all of those kind of things. I love that many of you are already signing up to be part of like this story of Alpha, which is going to run here after Easter. Alpha is a course which is, invites people in the most non-judgmental way possible to come and explore those questions of life, the universe, and everything. And I love that some of you are already thinking about which friends that you're going to invite to that and how it's going to work. Some of us are already so actively engaged in mission. But I think God has more for us. God already has more of the story that he wants to invite us into. But when we think about risk, it's also really important that we, and this is my last point, we think about going in the power and the presence of the love of the Holy Spirit. Risk is great to a point, but if all we have is risk, we're probably going to get in a bit of a mess. Um, I, I absolutely love my first rose parade this year. The Rose Parade is like nothing I have ever seen in life. I was expecting to see like, you know, little small floats that are, you know, like six foot high and have small children pushing them down the road. I didn't realize that here in the Rose Parade, you have like hundred foot high things and it's, an, it's astonishing. But what I didn't know about the Rose Parade is that before the Rose Parade starts, there is this kind of uh, little space of time, which is, they might as well call evangelism central. Have you ever seen this? Um, and some of the, the people who were out before the floats came down were really good. There was one, one um, person who put a beautiful love poem of God uh, on my dashboard of my car. So when I got back to my car, it was like about the fact that God loves me. I thought it was great. 
But the people that I remember was a particularly interesting group of people who um, were very brightly dressed and uh, walking down the middle of Colorado um, with a Bible that was about eight foot tall, uh, wheeling it. And uh, the preacher had a particularly interesting style about evangelism. Um, He used a term which is very well taught in um, in seminaries called repetition. Uh, And what he did is he got his loud hailer and um, he walked very close to the people on the side of the street and he put the loud hailer in their faces and he used this particularly endearing phrase you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. I mean, he was very persistent. This went on for a good 20 minutes. As he walked up, you're going to die, you're going to die. And I just thought, goodness me. (laughs) That is not what it looks like to be on mission with God. People in our culture are not desperate to be judged. They're not desperate to be condemned. They're desperate to see the power and presence of God at work. Something tangible. You know, Peter and John would have walked past this particular guy probably every day for a long period of time. He was right there. He was at the entrance of the place where they went to pray. But yet, there was something that happened in this moment. There was something. Now, we don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit said to Peter and John. Maybe it was a feeling. Maybe it was a particular word that popped into their minds. Maybe it was just the way that the Holy Spirit engineered that situation. But what we know is that something stopped Peter and John in their tracks as this man asked them for money. And then as they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, they were able to say to him, come on, it's time to get healed. Now, I don't believe that Peter and John just suddenly mustered up a whole load of faith and courage and went, okay, well, Jesus is into healing, so therefore just get up. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried that on the streets of LA. It would be quite a brave thing to do. But something of the Holy Spirit engineered, orchestrated, invited Peter and John into a moment. And as they were obedient, as they asked the Holy Spirit to come and minister to this person, a miracle happened. And as the miracle happened, in fact, what we read is that this was the very moment in which the church was going to start getting persecuted, but it was also going to go out and just change the whole world around it. This was not a random occurrence. The Holy Spirit was at work in this moment. And I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world all around us all the time. But I also know this. Most of the time, I miss it. Most of the time, I miss it. Because most of the time, I'm running around crazy trying to get from one thing to the next thing, and I'm not asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to do. I'm busy just trying to get through my day, right? That's what it feels like. Um, On Monday, I was, you know, it's crazy busy right now, but on Monday, I um, had to go pick up the kids from school, and I was driving up to school, and I just thought, oh, God, you know, when was the last time I stopped? When was the last time I thought, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say in this community of people that we're getting to know at the school? And I, and I just felt, you know, that Holy Spirit was going to do something. I know it was. And so I just, I just said, okay, Holy Spirit, you know, who, who is it? Who can I pray for? Who can I talk to? What's, you know, what's going to go on? What's going on? And, and so I walked up to school and, you know, looking a little bit kind of probably weird at the people around me going, is it that person? Is it that person? That person? Just, just looking overly spiritual probably. Um, but I picked up my daughter, and nothing dramatic happened at all. Picked up my daughter, and she ran up to her best friend at school, and her dad, her, the best friend's dad, had picked her up from school, and um, we just got chatting. I'd never really talked to him before, and we just had probably like ten minutes to just have a chat. Now, what I discovered is this guy—he's he's one of the most committed and devout Mormons of a particular group in in here in Pasadena, and you know, in over ten minutes, I was just able to share a little bit of my story. A little bit about faith, a little bit about what life feels like here, a little bit about what it means to be a church leader. Now, in that moment, he didn't like fall down on the floor and repent and all whatever else it, he might have done, but it was meaningful. 
And I am absolutely convinced that God has for me, exactly like he has for you, appointments. He has moments in your day that he is just inviting you, willing you into, where the Holy Spirit wants to say to you, hey, hey, look, you know that guy over there, he just needs to know that God loves him today. That guy over there, he just needs some healing in his life. And we are the very people that God has invited into that story. God doesn't need us, but God chooses us. God invites us into the story and invites us to take that little step of faith. And as we do that, what happens is that we then build some faith and we exercise some muscles, which means that next time we do it, we get to do a little bit more. And the next time we do a little bit more. I mean, if you, if you see the people who literally see people healed on the side of the streets, I bet the first thing they did was not go and pray for somebody on the side of the street and tell them to get up off the floor. I bet you it started with a little conversation or a little moment. And as we see that, faith starts to rise. Um, the, the very first disciples, the 72, when they were sent out by Jesus, Jesus said to them, go. Go, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom, cast out demons. And they go and they do it in risk, in faith, in the authority of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they come back and it says they were full of joy. They were full of joy because the kingdom of God came and they got to play a part. My prayer as I close is this, is that over the weeks, over the months to come, we would increasingly become a people of God who are prepared to step in to the plans and purposes of God. Not just here, but when we go. The plans and purposes of God in our families, the plans and purposes of God in our workplaces, in the places where we study, with our friendship groups at the school gates, that we would increasingly become a people who have our antenna up to the work of the Holy Spirit. That we would increasingly be people who know what it looks like to hear that little whisper calling us to say hello, to extend love, to extend help, to extend care, to pray for healing in those situations. And it's a big deal, and it's quite scary. And if, like me, you need a lot of God's help in that area, because it takes risk, and it takes courage, and it takes perseverance. And so as I close, I'd love to invite you to stand, and I'd love to pray for us, because if if you're like me, you're going to need a lot of the Holy Spirit's help um, to to do this. Um, And so um, as Daniel and the band come and pray, um, in the most normal way I can, I would love to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to come and to, to, to fill us up with his love, to fill us with his power, to help us right now to have our antenna open and up where maybe we've had them down and closed and not listening in the past. So will you pray with me?